Father God, uh, humble us as we come to your word this morning. Help us to listen to you. Lord, help uh, the distractions in our minds, in our hearts, uh, in our lives to melt away as we gaze at your word, at you and your son and your saving work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week I had coffee with another pastor friend, uh, one who I've only met a few times uh, many years ago, and I walked into the cafe. I vaguely remembered what he looks like. He's a guy in his 50s, bold Irish fella, and I walked in the cafe. I looked at each guy sitting on the tables. It's not him. It's not him. I don't think it's him. Oh, it's that guy who's smiling and looking weirdly at me, probably figuring out who I am too. Well, as we look at the beginning of Matthew's gospel today and work through Matthew's retelling of the events surrounding Jesus' birth leading up to Christmas, Matthew starts with a concern about spotting who the right person is too. He's concerned about spotting the coming of the Messiah, Israel's promised king from God, who would save his people. And throughout history, people have been claiming to be the Messiah for a long, long time. Uh, Just for a few examples, a news article a few years ago says, Russian man claims to be Messiah. Of course, this guy, this Russian man, is a picture of a guy with long hair, blue eyes, robe with sash. Then we move to another guy in 1948, Krishna Venta. He claimed he was the Messiah, and he claimed he had led a convoy of rocket ships to Earth from an extinct planet. In the 1600s, a guy called Sabatai Zevi, a Jew, he claimed to be Messiah. But then later on in his life, he converted to Islam. Hundreds AD, this guy Simon Bar Kokhba, he was claimed by his followers to be Messiah, and he led this revolt against the Romans. Even before the time of Jesus, people were being seen and spotted as possible messiahs. As people tried to find and spot who God's promised king who would save his people would be. And as Matthew begins... Uh, His account of Jesus' life, like we said before, is not just a list of names. You see, Matthew, he's making a bold claim here. He addresses the spotting the Messiah question. And Matthew, he's saying, this Messiah, this guy, this promised king from God who's going to save his people, he's come. And his name is Jesus And before we have a look at this passage, uh, this has huge implications for us today. Because it means that this list, if we take it seriously, is one of the most significant lists of names you'll ever find. It shows that Jesus, he's a real person. He existed in time, space, history. And his ancestry is linked to all of God's saving promises. And if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, this is a great reminder for you of how real Jesus is. 
this Jesus stuff. It's not abstract. It's not fictional. The God of the universe did really truly become flesh and blood. He fulfilled God's promises to save us from death to life, doing this on the cross. And we've already celebrated this this morning in Nadia's testimony and baptism and as we shared in communion just before. And if you're here this morning and you're not fully convinced on Jesus, then I encourage you to take note this morning because Jesus isn't just some fairy tale story. He's real. He's got a real ancestry. He existed in real history. So listen to his claims and respond to all that he's done. Uh, We're not going to study, unfortunately, each name and person in this genealogy, but we're going to look at it as a whole, and we're going to see three boxes that Jesus ticks as the Messiah through this family tree as we start Matthew's Gospel. And the first box that Jesus ticks is that he's from the right line. As we know, our genealogies are all about tracing family lines. And ever since I've become an adult, I've been more interested in looking at my background and my ancestry. And I was really surprised to discover a couple of things about my family tree. I found out that I have a strong Christian lineage. A whole bunch of my people group that I'm from were converted uh, as Christians in China in the mid or early 1800s. And I think I even pinpointed who that missionary was. And these new Christians in China, my great, 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 great grandparents, they were being persecuted for their faith in China. And they fled by boat and they took the gospel to what we call East Malaysia in the north of Borneo Island. It's a pretty cool story and a line of Christians that I look up to now. And I know some of us here have great stories of faith too. But all of these pale in comparison to what Matthew is outlining and claiming here about Jesus. Have a look at verse 1. It says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see, verse 1 Uh, acts as a title for the whole of Matthew's writing. And the book of the genealogy, or the book of the Genesis, it connects the reader's mind back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And if you read Genesis, it's all about tracking offspring, tracking God's promised line, Adam, Seth, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And Matthew here highlights two names in his title, David and Abraham. And anyone with an Old Testament background would know David and Abraham, the two big heroes who received two big promises from God which overshadowed the whole Old Testament. Abraham, Genesis 12, verse 2 and 3, thinks on the screen, says, I will make of you a great nation. This is God to Abraham. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and him 
who dishonours you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, God promises to bless all the world through Abraham and his line. And the second promise to David, 2 Samuel 7, verse 12 to 16. God again uh, to David says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I'll discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Here God promises a son of David, an offspring, who will establish God's kingdom forever. And these are the promises of old that Matthew picks up in chapter 1, verse 1. Abraham and David. And these figures are found in verse 2 to 16. Genealogy starting from Abraham, moving through David in verse 6 and ending in Jesus in verse 16. Rounded off with the summary in verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Here we have Abraham, David, Christ. So in this spotting the Messiah question, you see Jesus, he ticks the first box. He's from the right line. He really does fit into God's promises. He's of the right pedigree. Jesus has a legitimate claim through the throne as God's Messiah. He's from the right line. But we still have a problem because everyone named from verse 7 to 16 has the same rightful claim. They're all from Abraham and from David. So there's other things that Matthew's telling us here about Jesus. So on that note, as we keep going, what marks Jesus out from all of these other candidates like Solomon, Hezekiah, or Zerubbabel as Messiah? Well, some differences are obvious that we read from elsewhere in the Bible. They were all sinful, but Jesus is sinless. They were all men, but Jesus is God and man. They all died, but Jesus died and rose again. And they never established an eternal kingdom. And we believe that Jesus has. But the second thing that Matthew highlights here is that Jesus came at the right time. He came at God's appointed time. And while Matthew never says this directly, Jesus came at the right time. Uh, when we look at how Matthew's written this, the structure, the composition, the flow or the movement of Matthew's writing, 
I think it's pretty clear that Matthew, he's not pointing to all those other guys and names. He's pointing to Jesus specifically as God's chosen king. Have a look at verse 2 to 16 if you have your Bibles in front of you. There's three sets of exactly 14 names, each set representing significant movements in God's Old Testament people. Verse 2 to 6, it's an upward movement toward God's people being established as a nation. Verse 7 to 11, it's a downward movement from being established towards exile and the nation of Israel being destroyed. And then verse 12 to 16, it's a slow upward movement, returning from exile and rebuilding God's people, just as we saw in Nehemiah last term, if you were with us. And within each of these three sets, there's a pattern. It's written purposefully. There's 14 names in each set, and each name chosen, uh, specifically because there isn't a comprehensive genealogy here. Some generations are missed, some people are missed, and 14 is chosen to make a pattern. 14, 14, 14, just like a poem or a piece of music or a piece of art. And there's ideas about what this 14 number means. I'm not going to go into it too much. Uh, In any case, Matthew's created and crafted this genealogy purposely. Three sets of names, 14, 14, 14. And he's highlighting what happens at the end, Christ. It's highlighted in verse 17. All the generations from Abraham to David, 14, David to Babylon, 14, and from Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. He's crafted this on purpose. He said so himself. All of this to make a point. Here's salvation history. Here's all that God has been doing in the world in history. And all of this, it points to Jesus. He is the Christ. You see, God, he's sovereign over history. And Matthew structures this list to say that the scene is set. All of these preparations in the Old Testament are complete. And all of it, in fact, points to none other than Jesus. Paul summarizes this point well when he says in Galatians 4 verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So now we've ticked two boxes. Jesus, he's from the right line, and he's also come at the right time. And the last box, the third box to tick about Jesus, is that he's also the right design. Back to my fascination about my ancestry. Uh, Over the past years, I've learned more and more about my family, my people group, my background. And on this journey, I found out good things, but I also found out some not-so-good things about my background. 
things I wish I didn't know. I saw how messy and broken families can be, that my family even can be from family divisions uh, to my people group being linked to rebellions in China. Family trees are messy and broken. Every family has their oddities, don't they? And people, no matter how good we think we are or they are, people are sinful to the core. And as we read through the list of names in this family tree of Jesus, you'd imagine it's Jesus. This list should be pure, perfect, holy, this righteous line of do-gooders and godly people. Isn't that what we all learnt in Sunday school, all these amazing biblical heroes? But in reality, as we think about it, as we look at these names, that's not really the case at all. The men who are mentioned here, even the heroes that we know, they're all marred by sin. Abraham, he was a polygamist who lied about his wife twice. Isaac, he copied his dad's trick and lied about his wife too. David, the man after God's own heart, he, as you've probably read, was an adulterous murderer too. Then we have a whole bunch of bad kings and lesser known, but likewise sinful men mixed in the lot. You see, this is Jesus' family tree. Messy, broken, sinful human beings. You see, Jesus, he doesn't shy away from the mess of sin. He's not ashamed of it. He's not too good for it. And Matthew doesn't hide this either. He actually makes it a big point in his composition. This is exactly who and why and for whom Jesus came for. Not just for the righteous, but to save sinners from the penalty of sin. And if you keep looking at the names, there's more details that we don't have time to go into. Lesser known kings, bad kings who are evil and sinful, even good kings, they were still sinful. There's women mentioned, and a formal, noble, Jewish, or Roman, or Greek genealogy wouldn't be too concerned about women. But here we find women included, and they're all Gentile women too. Tamar in verse 3, she's a Gentile. Rahab from Jericho in verse 5. Ruth in verse 5 from Moab outside of Israel. And Bathsheba technically is a Hittite in verse 7, all these women also have questionable stories, not really what you'd put into this pure-blooded, righteous Jewish genealogy. Yet Matthew, he purposely includes and purposely highlights these in Jesus' family tree, sin and brokenness, men and women, Jew and Gentile, Matthews designed this genealogy to make a point. Because you see, Matthew's showing us that Jesus is the right design as God's Messiah. He's the right design as our Savior King. That while Jesus is fully God and fully man, that while he's sinless, yet he belongs to a family of sinners a diverse bunch. And this is exactly 
who Jesus came for. To save sinners. To save all sinners. Men and women, Jew and Gentile, all the unrighteous, the kind of people mentioned in this genealogy, messed up and broken people. Maybe this morning you're thinking how God couldn't possibly love someone as bad, as messy, as sinful as you. Well, that's exactly the kind of people who Jesus came, died, and rose again for, who Jesus welcomes into his family. That's the right design of Messiah that we get, the kind of Messiah that we need, one to deal with our greatest problem, our sin, one who saves sinners and welcomes sinners who trust in Jesus into God's family tree forever. You see, Jesus is the Messiah of the right design. He didn't come to deal with the Romans. He didn't come to help us build our own kingdom. He didn't come for us to feel positive, to get rich, or to give us the comfortable life. He came to deal with an even greater problem. He came to deal with our sin by dying in our place on the cross and rising into new life, victorious over death. And that's what we celebrate during Christmas, the birth of the Messiah, Jesus. The Messiah who deals with sin and welcomes us, welcomes sinners like you and me into his family. To welcome people who were once facing judgment now in his family to be given hope, once dead in sin, but now in his family alive in Jesus, once lost in the world, but now invited into God's eternal family. That's what we saw Nadia declare publicly in baptism before, that Nadia is a sinner, but she's saved by Jesus, who deals with her sin by dying in her place on the cross. And as Nadia places her trust in Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus welcomes Nadia into his forever family. And we can enjoy the salvation that Jesus has won too. And it's done by trusting in Jesus, giving our lives to Jesus as a saviour who saves us and living for Jesus as the Lord and King that we live for. So today as we begin Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus, we've seen this introduction genealogy. It's telling us, God's telling us through it that the Messiah has come and his name is Jesus. You see, Jesus ticks all the boxes to be the Messiah. He's from the right line. He's got a legitimate claim to David's throne. In other words, Matthew's saying that Jesus is the true king. So let me ask you this morning, is Jesus the king in your life? What do you make of Jesus today? Even if you call yourself a Christian, what do your words, your actions, and priorities make of Jesus' kingship in your life? Jesus, he's come at the right time. All of salvation history, all that God has been doing in the world points 
to Jesus. Let me ask you, is that how you read God's word today? Is your thinking, your theology of God centered on the saving message of Jesus? Because that's what God's plans center on, his son, the true Messiah, Jesus. Jesus, he's also the right design. His family tree is made up of this mishmash of broken, messy, and sinful people. And that's exactly who Jesus came to save. Do you know that Jesus welcomes messy and broken people into his family? Jesus is the right design. He's come to save sinners like you and me. You see, as we finish off this morning, Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one of God has come. He's come to save messy and broken people. And he invites us all, all of us, into his forever family to come as you are today, messy, broken, sinful, whatever it is, to come and to be saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Jesus is God's Messiah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us that despite our sin, our mess, and our brokenness, you sent Jesus to be born as a man, to die on the cross, to rise again, so that we can be part of your family. Remind us through all the busyness of the month to come that Jesus is your promised king. He is the Messiah. He is the saving one. He's come from the right line at the right time, and he's the right design. And salvation and life is found only in Jesus and Jesus alone. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.